Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. So we've already had <clears throat> what I believe are two prophetic words this morning. And each of them pertain, I believe, to the church, the body of Christ. So yes, God is doing something. And yes, I believe that His Spirit is being poured out. I believe there's a release of anointing. And yes, I believe that it is for final preparation. See, we're witnessing a lot of stuff, a lot of things that are taking place in our world that are fulfillment of prophetic word that has been prophesied over thousands of years. Prophecies that have been spoken by, and we can read them in the Word of God, those things are being fulfilled. Just kind of a, a snippet. All the things that are taking place in Ukraine and the aggression by Russia. And the coming together of dangerous alliances in that part of the world. Nations like China. I don't know if this is what has been prophesied in the Bible as, as being, as far as being the final, some of the final things that are taking place. But I do know this, it very well could be. But I was studying the other day with that, those things in mind, and I was studying and, and just kind of flew over this thing about the battle uh, of, of Armageddon and how that Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about how that God is going to put a hook in the jaw of 
one from the north. And they're going to come down with the intention of destroying God's people, the nation of Israel. But there's a path that they're going to come down. And the Bible refers to the Euphrates River as drying up to make way for this massive, massive army to come down the dry riverbed of the Euphrates River. The first mention of the Euphrates River is in Genesis chapter 1. It is one of the four rivers that flowed out of Eden. The Euphrates River, Euphrates means fruitfulness. And the Euphrates River is, is the largest river in that region, that, that area. The largest river. Thousands and thousands of farmers depend on the Euphrates River. But the Word of God spoken by Isaiah thousands of years ago or Ezekiel said there's going to be a battle. The book of Revelation said this army is going to come down the dry riverbed of the Euphrates. Pastor, why are you saying all that? The Euphrates River is drying up. As a matter of fact, it is drying up to the point that they say in the next few years it could be totally dried up. Farmers that for thousands of years have depended on this river to irrigate their crops. For thousands of years this river has produced crops through irrigation and fertile land it's drying up where irrigation systems used to be now is nothing but desert dry busted up ground the word of God said it's going to dry up It's happening. You see, we put a lot of focus on what's going on in Russia, what's going on in the Ukraine, and all that. But that one little aspect of Bible prophecy had to happen in order for the armies of the north to come down. And it's happening. Why am I saying that? I'm telling you, God's got a prophetic clock, church. 
And we think, well, if we pray, we're going to stop this from happening. And certainly prayer is powerful. But I want you to know something. That God is all-knowing. He is all-seeing. And He is all-powerful. And God in His foreknowledge has already looked down on this earth. And he knew that in 2022, he knew the backslidden condition of this nation. He knew that this nation, being one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth, would have opened itself up and allowed all kind of sin, idolatry, and perversion to come in. And so what we're seeing is, we're seeing a slow progression of God pulling his spirit back and allowing evil to get worse and worse and worse. You see, we're not going to be able to stop this prophetic clock because an all-knowing God has already seen tomorrow. He already knows the future. So you you might say, well, pastor, what do we do? Just throw our hands up and give up and quit? No, because God in his foreknowledge has already seen this thing called the church. You see, God is not nearly concerned about whether you grow beans in your garden as he is gathering in the harvest of souls. You see, Jesus said to Mary and Joseph when they came looking for him after they had lost him, he said, I must be about my father's business. Church, we need to be about the father's business. Because what we are working for and what we're laboring for and what we're striving to obtain is just in sight. Jesus is coming soon. I said Jesus is coming soon. Maybe morning, maybe night, or it may be noon. But Jesus is coming soon. The bridegroom is getting ready to step out. Make sure that your lamp is filled with oil. See, me, my flesh, I would love to be able to grow old and watch my grandchildren grow old. And I'm going to keep on praying and I'm going to keep on living and believing that that's going to happen. But also, I am 
understand that my responsibility as a pastor or my responsibility as a Christian man, father, husband, my greatest responsibility is to prepare my family for the coming of Jesus. My greatest responsibility as a pastor is to prepare you for the coming of Jesus. Whether he comes tomorrow or whether it is 50 years from now, prepare you for the coming of Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know why I had to share that. I just want you to understand, guys. I believe we're living in some pivotal but serious times. And I believe it's time for us to lay aside all of these things that have, have beset us and all these things that have hindered us and all these things that have distracted us. And I believe God is, is, is through Holy Spirit, is, is screaming out from heaven. Gather the harvest. Gather the harvest. On the street corners. In the grocery stores. In the schools. In the highways. The byways. Gather the harvest. The fields, church, are white under harvest. Hallelujah. 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 There's a king that's about to step out. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. And now his face I see. I can hear his chariots rumble. I can see his marching throne. I just heard that trumpet sound. The king is coming. Hallelujah. Are you ready?
Are you ready? That's, that's the question. Are you ready? If he comes now, the Bible says that in the twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, not the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. He's coming. And he's going to gather the church. He's going to gather those who belong to him. He's going to gather those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. He's not going to go to the Baptist or the Methodist or the Presbyterian or the Holiness or the Catholic to see what name is over the door. He's not going to worry about whether you're chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, or mango. He could care less about your flavor. But what he is coming to retrieve back to himself is those that have been touched by the blood, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on and lift up your hands this morning. You say, Pastor, what in the world is going on? Holy Spirit is paying you a visit this morning. Holy Spirit is in this place this morning. And those chills that you feel, that hair that's standing up on the back of your neck this morning, is Holy Spirit trying to get you to understand that I am here. I am in the midst of this place. I am here. I am calling and I am moving. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, before God flooded the earth and destroyed the earth or destroyed the things on the earth, He said this, He said, My spirit will not always strive with man. And I believe this morning that what is happening in this place today and even over our live stream this morning. Holy Spirit is striving with people. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean Holy Spirit is working and moving and pushing and knocking and calling and asking, let me come in. That's the reason that God said in Genesis that my spirit will not always strive with man because he knew that man's heart had turned to evil 
on a continual base. Hallelujah. See, in the Welch revival that took place, the Wales revival, even in Browns, the Brownsville revival, Holy Spirit would move so strongly. Men and women would get up and run to the altar under conviction of Holy Spirit. Bar rooms had to close down because of a lack of patrons. Houses of prostitute had to shut down because there were no customers. Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you will this morning, if you're not already standing, please stand with me and take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to start reading this morning with verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. I want to talk to you just for a little while this morning on the subject of keys and gates. Keys and gates. I believe this is a word, I know it's a word for the church. And so I stand here this morning as your pastor speaking to you from a pastoral role this morning. There are times when we stand and minister because we believe in the fivefold ministry. There are times when we stand and minister. And I know that I'm operating in an apostolic role. There are other times that I know that I'm operating in a prophetic role. But this morning I believe that I'm operating in a pastoral role as a pastor. And I believe this word that God's given me this morning is one for the body of Christ. And so I want you to understand this morning about keys and gates in the book of Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 beginning with verse 13 now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said to them but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is Peter's great confession of Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word. Help us today to declare it with clarity, with passion, with compassion, and we thank you that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that where you send it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to talk about this morning Peter's confession because that's what we usually focus on. And I've taught, I've preached out of this passage many times. And I've talked about the, the, the confession of faith that Simon Peter spoke and, and, and all that. But I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But what I do want to bring about this morning is that is the words that Jesus spoke in response to Peter's confession. Jesus said this to Peter. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There are many different ideas of what Jesus was talking about there. Uh, There's one church that has taken the the, uh, idea that that, God was building everything that he was going to do on Peter. And so uh, they've gone with that. But what I believe today, that Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. I believe that what Jesus was saying to Peter was this. You are a rock. Your name means rock or stone. But it is on this rock that I am going to build my church and he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it but I want to talk this morning a little bit about the church Jesus said I will build my church that is the first mention of the word church in the New Testament in this passage of scripture it is the first time that the word church is mentioned The Greek word for the word church is ekklesia. It simply means an assembly of called out ones. An assembly of called out ones. You and I are the church. Now, I am the church individually, but when we come together this morning, we become the body of Christ. We, we become an assembly of called out men and women. 
And what I, what Holy Spirit began to deal with me about with this passage of Scripture is He began to reveal to me and show me some things that I had not previously noted, uh, noticed about this passage of Scripture. God began to deal with me about the church, the body of called out people, the body of believers. And he said, son, I want you to remind the people and, and, and reiterate to them that it, as we move into the future, and as we begin to see things change, your culture is going to change Things around you are going to begin to change. Things that, that we have put a lot of emphasis on will, will at, at some point in time become nothing to worry about. We're going to begin to see our government begin to make changes and we're going to begin to see things happen in that that we're going to wonder about and we're going to stress about and worry about and we're going to begin to uh, get caught up in the political thing about well it's the republican or it's the democrat or or something like that but god said son i want you to refocus the church and i want you to let them know that that my power and my anointing and my uh, will and my ability does not ride on the back of a donkey or an elephant. He said, my power is, is all by itself. He said, it's not dependent upon who sits in the presidential uh, suite at the White House. It's not dependent upon decisions that Nancy Pelosi or whoever might make. But God said, my power resides in my church. You see, in this being the first mention of church in the Bible, we understand that the church was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. That's when the New Testament church began, was on the day of Pentecost. We are now living in the dispensation of the church or Holy Spirit. You see, with the inauguration of the church on the day of Pentecost, that lets us know that the church is empowered and carried by Holy Spirit. The church is anointed and draws its power from Holy Spirit. So it was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost, and it will, it will remain, it will remain in all of its power, in all of its authority, in all of its anointing, in all of its ability. It will remain until the rapture of the body of Christ. Somebody said the church is going down. No, the church is not going down. The church is not going to die. Because, why? Because the head of the body is Jesus. 
Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 1, I used this last week, he said, I am he that was dead on the cross, but I am alive now, and I will be alive forevermore. Listen, don't tell me that the church is going to die because the head of the church is alive, and the Bible says he will be alive forevermore. We're not going down, we're going up. See, here is the thing, though, and I'm getting ahead of myself. It's going to cost you about 15, 20 more minutes. But here's the thing. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The question that we need to ask ourselves, are you or am I a part of the church? I'm not asking you about your religious affiliation. I'm not asking about making sure that your card is current in the local church. I'm not asking you if mom and dad were born again saints of God. I'm asking you this morning, are you in the church? The Bible, the church, this is the first mention of it. So there's a law called the first mention. It's the law of first mention. And it, it, it relates to biblical understanding. That when you see, when you read something in the Bible and you don't understand exactly what it's pertaining to or what it's saying, then you research and you go back. Instead of going forward, you go back in the Word of God and you keep going back until you find the first mention of that subject. And when you read it there with the first mention of it, you are able to gain an understanding of exactly what God was talking about in the Word of God. For example... There's so much confusion in our world today of, on the subject of marriage and gender uh, uh, understanding and all of that. And the, the confusion would be cleared up except for a couple of things. Those that have gender confused and those who have marriage of man and woman confused do not understand or do not believe most of the time the Word of God. Because they've taken parts of the Word out to try to get it to meet their own desires. 
You see, but if you would go back to the book of Genesis, it's amazing today how many organizations, so-called church denominations that have written off the book of Genesis because they don't believe in the creation. You see, you go back to the book of Genesis, to the law of first mention. And in the law of first mention, the Bible says that in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, that God created man male and female. Everything after that was based upon the creation of male and female. In Genesis chapter 2, you see where the Bible talks about that God created a woman for Adam. He took her out of the, the side of Adam and created a woman. She's the one that, that Adam said, I'm going to call her Eve. But the Bible says, for this cause she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And for this reason, man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's marriage. You see, it's that law of first mention that we need to understand. So, Getting back to, I'm sorry about that rabbit trail, but just thought you might want to know. So in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. I believe the church is made up of, of little stones that when we come together, we make a mountain. I was thinking about this and I remembered the last time that we were in the mountains. And I remember driving uh, along the road there and I looked ahead and there was this, this huge, massive, gigantic mountain that we were headed to. And I remember thinking about that, that mountain being a solid piece of stone but when I got closer I saw this yellow sign beside the road and it said caution falling rocks and Holy Spirit spoke to me and said all the mountains are made up of individual rocks and stones else they wouldn't be falling so we the church are made up of different stones and of different rocks built upon the rock Christ Jesus but when Jesus said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell 
would not prevail. And then he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Two words there, gates and keys. So I want to just get right to it, okay? The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23. It says that he put all things, Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if the church was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost and we're living in the church age now, our responsibility as the church is to gather in the harvest, to bring in the lost and to win the lost to him. You see, we are the body of Christ. And as I look out today, there are hands and feet and fingers and toes, arms and legs, but we're all made, we, we all make up the body of Christ. But what is the body? What is the purpose for the body? The purpose for the body is that the body is a manifestation of a personality. You see my body, but my body represents my personality. The church has been brought together to represent the personality of Jesus Christ. Not to push man's agenda, not to try to make man some big, big thing on a pole, not to build some man's empire or anything like that, but the church is to be the manifestation of the personality of Jesus Christ. We are the body. We are not an organization. We are an organism. You see, an organization has, has desk and furniture and, and, and all of these things, but an organism is a living breathing body we are a living organism empowered by the Holy Spirit anointed by God empowered by him we are here on this earth to represent the Lord Jesus Christ everything that you and I do is a representation of the one that we serve Every, every, every decision that we make is a representation of the one that we've been called to serve. You see, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I, I began to look at that word gate. And that word gate, is, it represents a judicial branch. You see, in the Old Testament... When the Bible talks about gates, the gate of the city was the place where judicial decisions were made. It is the place where legal matters were decided at the gates of the city. Remember in the book of Ruth, Boaz, when he wanted to marry Ruth and take her for his wife, he went to the gate of the city and met with the elders of the city. 
to make sure that everything was good. Lot would sit at the gate of the city in Sodom. So the gate is a place where judicial legal decisions were made. So what was Jesus saying when he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? I believe that what he was saying is this. That when the enemy, when the devil begins to rise up and we begin to see all this stuff taking place in our culture and in our world, when we begin to see and, and not understand the decisions of politicians and all of these things, we need to recognize that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It doesn't matter how many decisions that the Supreme Court hands down against religion. It doesn't matter if they never rescind Roe versus Wade. It doesn't matter uh, if, if, if they do their best to close the doors of the church building. Jesus said this, that the legal attacks and the, and the judicial attacks from the kingdom of hell will not prevail against his church. Let me read you this passage of scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might or the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What was the Apostle Paul talking about there? He was saying, guys, I want you to understand that you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to pull yourself together, put on the whole armor of God, equip yourself with everything that God has given you, put on the breastplate of righteousness, take on the helmet of salvation, gird yourself with the belt of truth so that you won't be deceived and you won't be sidetracked with all the stuff that's going to come. He said, put on the whole armor of God. He said, the reason is that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of evil, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And what that is saying, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at it, he's talking about that the, the kingdom of hell has a uh, legalistic system that it goes by to try to bring down and stop the body of Christ but can I tell you this Jesus already knew that and that is the reason that he said the gates of hell though they might come against my church they will not prevail why because the head of the church is Jesus Christ you see all down through history the enemy 
The devil has tried to set gates in front of the body of Christ and tried to shut down and, and stop the body of Christ. But Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to I leave you with this thought. Or I, want, I want you to get this thought. I'm not going to leave you right now. But I want you to get this understanding. That the, that the devil is a legalist. Meaning that he only operates through legalities that we give him. Your words open a door for the devil to come in legally and attack your life. Your lack of praying opens the door for the enemy to come in legally and attack your life. Your lack of understanding of the Word of God opens the door legally for the enemy to come in and attack your life. You're playing around on the fence with the church opens the door for the enemy to come in and legally attack your life. The only way that the devil can come in and wreak destruction in your life is he comes in through an open door. Every once in a while, he'll come in and bust the door down. But when he busts the door down, I've got the authority and the power to stand up and close the door and say, not today, devil. You're not going to come in and run roughshod over my life. So what the church has got to recognize about the demonic powers and the evil influences that we're seeing more and more and that we're battling more and more is this. God is still the same. The church is still the church. The anointing is still the anointing. Holy Spirit is still empowering the church. He's empowering me and he's empowering you so you don't have to worry about what you're seeing with your eyes, what you're hearing with your ears. Just recognize this morning that God has still got a body of believers that will sustain and stand strong in this last day. I was thinking about this the other day and, and the thought came to me about a staircase and Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, son, he said, the church, my people need to quit staring at the stair staircase. And you know, sometimes those thoughts come and you wonder where did that come from? Why do I need to quit staring at the staircase? He said, people are worried about how high the staircase is. And he said, because they're so worried about how high the staircase is, they're refusing to take the first step. He said, quit worrying about how high it is and just take the first step. Because it's one step one step, one step that will get you to the top of the staircase. Recognize this morning that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church.
Can I tell you something? Reality. Weeks ago, we, we could see on Facebook the Ukrainian church gathered together in, in church buildings and in rooms, singing and worshiping and praising God, lifting their hands, exalting the Lord. Many of those same buildings today have been destroyed and wiped out by Russian missiles. And probably some of those people have lost their lives. Here's the reality, America. It's the reality, American church. Is he still God? Is he still the King of kings and the Lord of lords? I'm telling you today, God is saying to the church, you need to recognize and you need to understand that the church will never be defeated. Just because a missile destroys the building, the church is still the church. Just because somebody loses their life, the church is still the church. So don't get this in your mind that because this happens and that takes place, and I prayed, but this happened anyway, that the church is losing its power. No, the church is not losing its power, but the head of the church has greater plans for the church than it be on earth. Yes, I'm fixing the clothes. So we get to this thing where Jesus said, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and you'll have power to bind and power to loose. So real quickly, I want you to understand that if gates, if the word gates represent a judicial place, a place of government, keys also represent a place of government. They represent a place of power and authority. The one who holds the keys has the power to open or close. Who did Jesus say I'm going to give the keys to? The church. So the one who holds the keys has the power and the authority to open or close. For one to possess the keys, they must take the responsibility of being a steward of those things that the key unlocks. If you come to me today and say, Pastor, I need a key to the church. Then what I'm assuming, that when you ask for a key to this building, is that when you unlock the door and you walk into this building when nobody is around, that you're going to steward the building. When I give you keys, I expect 
that when I walk in this building the next time after you have used my key to unlock the door, I expect not to come in and the lights be on, sound system be on, gym lights be on, water be running in the sink in the kitchen. I hope none of you have never done that because you're going to say, well, Pastor, just talking to me this morning. Just an example. Relax. But with the keys come responsibility of stewarding that that the key goes to. If you come this morning and say, hey, uh, Pastor, I need to borrow your truck. It ain't going to happen, but if I were to do that and give you the keys to my truck, then you would be responsible for stewarding my truck. You see, when Jesus said to Peter, talking about the church, this is the first mention of the church, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Then those keys gives you and I the right of entrance. He who holds the key has the power to unlock or lock the door. We as the body of Christ have been given the keys of authority. And yes, the devil and the enemy are going to assail and they're going to try to rob, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But what Jesus said is this, I will give you the keys to an ever-ending, abundant source or supply that whatever the enemy throws at you, use your key. Use your key. So, in a, so I close with this. This is the power of the church. Sister Sandy, you guys go ahead and come. This is the power of the church. And I believe this is what we need to understand today. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, Paul said this, he said, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the law, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What Paul was talking about was the coming of the Antichrist. He said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know... What is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? Look at verse 6. Paul said, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so 
until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So to paraphrase what Paul was saying, he said there's a spirit of lawlessness that's already at work. It was at work then, even more so now. And he said, he talked about the Antichrist. It's going to be the personification of Satan himself. He said, he's going to come. He said, but there's a restrainer that's holding him back. He said, he cannot come on the scene as long as that restrainer is there. So to paraphrase that, what Paul was saying is simply this. The church, filled with Holy Spirit, operating in the full power of Holy Spirit, working through the anointing of Holy Spirit. The church that is filled with the gifts of the Spirit that's working through the body, the body of Christ. Do you recognize this morning that you are a part of the force and the power that's holding back the very personification of hell itself from rising up? You see, that's the reason Ladies and gentlemen, that the enemy hates you so bad. Because the devil knows that I can't do this until I get Larry out of the way. I want, I want to attack Carl's family. I want to get his children and I want to rob them of their salvation. But I can't do it because Carl, Carl is praying, Carl is speaking in tongues, and, 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 and I can only get so close to his son and daughter until I have to back up because there's something around him that is prohibiting the onslaught of hell. So here's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. You need to recognize that if you are a blood-washed believer, filled with the Holy Ghost, walking in the power of the anointing, that there's something that scares hell to death about you because he knows that he can only go as far as you will allow him to go. Listen, don't worry about how it's looking on the outside. Don't worry about what you're hearing from your family. Don't worry about it when they look at you and say you're crazy. Don't worry about it when they call you a fanatic and all of that. Don't worry about all that. 
I'm a restrainer. Come here. You sit on the front row, man. What do you expect? All I can say. No, you ain't. I'll go back here and get you. Come here, Tana. See, because I want you to understand what I'm saying and what I'm talking about. If the devil wants to get to Tanner, stand over here a little bit, Tanner. Get away from me a little bit. If the enemy wants to get to Tanner, And Tanner is every once in a while in church. Every once in a while, he might pray this big prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep. That's the extent of Tanner's prayer life. He doesn't really know anything about the Word of God just by what he heard that awesome pastor that they got at McCullough preach on on Sunday morning. That's the only word he's got. So you can do stuff like this when you preach. You see, and the enemy comes and says, I've got to do something because I don't want him to get close to God. There is nothing there that is restraining the work of the enemy. Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb that's been applied to our lives. And we overcome by the words of our testimony. That's the reason that the Christian's confession is such a powerful thing. Because when I confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, I am declaring the authority of God in my life. Not only that, when I confess the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't confess Him silently. I confess Him openly. That's the reason that baptism is such a powerful thing, because you're confessing openly what God has done inwardly. So you see the power of my confession. But if I don't know the Word of God, I can't confess. It doesn't matter if you say my name is Tanner. That ain't going to stop hell. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I went to church the other day. That ain't going to stop hell. It doesn't matter if you say, well, my granddaddy was a preacher full of the Holy Ghost. That ain't going to stop hell. The only thing that's going to stop hell from attacking Tanner Gideons is if there is something in Tanner that is greater than that that's coming against him. That is the reason that it is not a Pentecostal thing to say you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist, Methodist, or what you are. You need to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. 
That is what 1 John 4, 4 says, that greater is He. I have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power might be of Him and not of me. There's something greater that is working in me. That is what scares the hell out of hell. That is exactly what, what Paul was so, talking about. This man of sin wants to rise up. But the church, not walking in its religious duties, not just gathering on Sunday morning, having a three-point sermon and a few songs and going home. Not the deacon having to be drug out of the bar room or the casino on Friday night. I'm, I should have quit a long time ago there, shouldn't have, Brother West. But a church that's walking in the authority, a church that is representing and manifesting the personality of the one of which died for them. Hell, in all of its power, and all of its ugliness. I just want, listen, I just want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, who you are in Christ and what you have been called to do in this earth. Literally, and I'm going to say it again, Literally, hell is going to unleash one last attack to try to rob heaven of its earthly treasure, which is you and I. And he's going to work it through this antichrist that's going to rise up. I believe he's alive. I believe he's breathing right now. I believe perhaps he's sitting behind a desk somewhere right now. Yes. And I believe he's seething angry. Because what he is sensing now is there's an uptick in the anointing of God. There's something happening in the kingdom. God's prophetic clock is ticking along. And there's going to be a day when God's going to say, it is done. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be gone. We're going to be out of here. You don't want to be left.
the restraining power is the anointing of Holy Spirit that's working inside the body of Christ. Hell can't touch it. Hell can't stop it. Hell can't shut it down. As long as the body is speaking the Word of God, declaring the Word of God, living a life of holiness and purity.